This reading is from John 3, verse 1 to 17. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can the man be born again when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Much is being made, and rightly so, of the Queen being 90 this year. And because it's a big birthday, much is being made, and rightly so, of the fact that she has two birthdays. She was born on the 21st of April, 1926, but her official birthday is coming up in June. Why does she get two birthdays? Not just the double the number of birthday cards... But the practice of having an official birthday was apparently started by George II in 1748. He was born in November, and he didn't want to hold his annual birthday parade when the weather was cold. So he decided to give everyone the opportunity to celebrate his birthday in the warmth and sunshine by combining it with the trooping of the colour in June. And that tradition continues to this day. But the Queen is not the only person to enjoy two birthdays every year. Every citizen of God's kingdom also has two birthdays. There is the day on which we're born physically to our parents, and there is the day on which we're born again by the Spirit of God to become one of God's own children. And that has to be true of every member of God's kingdom because, as Jesus said, no one gets to see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now, 
Some of us will be able to say with absolute certainty that they were born physically on such and such a date and that they were born again on such and such a date later on. I can't. My actual birthday is the 8th of February 1963. I don't remember it, but it's on my birth certificate and I believe that that's the case. What about the day I was born again? Well, I do remember that, but I can't remember the exact date. As far as I can recall, it was one Sunday in February 1979, but I've never observed it as a birthday as such. But it was, for me, a very definite step of commitment to Christ. Going up to the front of church at the end of a service in response to an appeal and saying, much to my surprise, I think I want to become a Christian. If you were to ask me when I was born again, when I crossed the frontier into God's kingdom, there is no doubt in my mind that that is the decisive day when it happened. But I'd been thinking about it for a fair old time before that, actually. And it took a fair while after that before I really began to understand the implications of what I'd done. But for me, that kind of fundamental turning place was that day in the decision to say, I want to become a Christian. I'd begun to turn before that time. I'd kind of continued to turn after that day, but that was the switch point for me. Not everyone can necessarily identify their spiritual birthday even with that degree of clarity. For some people, yes, it's a a moment of decision. For others, for many people... It's a a change into faith and commitment which happens almost imperceptibly. After a long period of time, they suddenly think, actually, yeah, I think think I'm a Christian now. Don't ask me when or how it happened, but over a, a long period of time, there has been a definite shift and a change in orientation in my life towards God. In his little booklet, Making a Splash, Nick Lear, former minister of this church, compares becoming a Christian to crossing the border between England and Scotland. doesn't say, well, he does say which direction you're travelling. For some reason, he thinks going to Scotland is like getting into the kingdom, but there you go. If you enter Scotland on the motorway, you pass a big sign saying, Welcome to Scotland! But if you're hiking or travelling on a B road, you might not even be aware that you crossed the border until you begin to realise that you are in a different country. Same with becoming a Christian. Sometimes there's a big sign saying, you're through, you're there. Other times after a while you begin to think, actually, things are a bit different now. Something has happened. It can be decisive. It can be immediate. It can be gradual. But crossing the border is the thing that makes the difference. If your experience has been one of gradual conversion, it's harder to relate to the language of being born again. After all, being born again implies a specific event. You can be definitely specific about the precise moment a baby is born. Prince Charles was born on the 14th of November, 1948, at 14 minutes past nine in the evening. But if you're not sure about the exact time at which you became a Christian, does it still make sense to talk about being born again? We can't just jettison the image because Jesus said you can only enter God's kingdom if you're born again. So it's something we have to take on board. 
Though there is a degree of ambiguity about his language, the word translated again can also mean from above. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born from above. Arguably, it's that kind of ambiguity inherent in the word that led to the misunderstanding with Nicodemus when he couldn't grasp what Jesus was talking about. How can anybody be born again, he asks. You can't go back into your mother's womb and to be born a second time, can you? How does that work? Well, no, of course you can't. But Jesus explains what it means to be born from above in a different way than Nicodemus' benefit. Try it this way, Nicodemus. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. In other words, these fleshly physical bodies are a result of being born physically. But these fleshly physical bodies are not made for eternal life. They will grow old and die And many of us are conscious of that process. So we're born physically to a physical body that is mortal. But we can also be born from above by the Spirit to eternal life. Because, as John puts it, God loves us so much that he gave his only Son. So that if we believe in him, we shall not perish, but we shall have eternal life. Those who believe in him, those who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. Not born of the will of man or of flesh, but born of God. None of us had any say about whether we were born or when we were born. It just happened to us. But when it comes to being born from above... That's different. That does involve our own personal decision. No one else makes or can make that decision for us. It's a matter of placing our trust in Jesus for forgiveness, for eternal life, for a relationship with God. And as we believe in his name, as we accept him as our Lord and Saviour, We are born again into God's family, destined for eternal life. And it's because we have this new heavenly identity as God's children, destined for eternity, that Jesus talks about being born from above. He describes himself as coming from above rather than from earth. And so it's because his origins are in heaven that he can talk to Nicodemus with authority about heavenly matters. No one's come from heaven except the Son of Man, he says. So who else has the authority to say what heaven is like, what God is like, to speak with authority about God? But if Jesus comes from heaven to earth to be our saviour, the effect of his coming is to raise us up from earth to heaven as we are born from above as God's children by the Spirit. Something which Jesus describes as being born of water and of the Spirit. There's not unanimity about what Jesus meant by those words. Some people think that being born of water could be a reference to physical birth. The water's breaking is a sign of the baby coming, and so forth. And that can be followed by a different spiritual birth. 
But water and spirit are combined quite frequently in Scripture. And it's likely that this is what Jesus had in mind. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied that God would sprinkle clean water on his people, cleanse them from all their sins, and then that he would give them a new heart by putting his spirit within them. Cleansing by water, renewing by the spirit, the two going together. And it's likely that being born of water and of the spirit refers to this combined process of cleansing and renewing. That was clearly on John the Baptist's agenda. As he said to people, look, I've come to baptise you with water as a sign of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But one coming after me, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus to the disciples said, remember, John baptised with water, but after a few days, you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism expressed repentance on the part of those getting baptised and God's forgiveness of their sins, which were symbolically washed away in the water. But baptism in the Holy Spirit, that's about being changed. That's about becoming a new person on the inside. That's about not just being forgiven our sins, but delivered from our sins. And it's probably this combination of water baptism and spirit baptism that Jesus refers to when he speaks to Nicodemus about being born from above of water and of the Spirit. The baptism of water, representing the cleansing from sin, the baptism of Spirit, making us new people, making us born again as children of God. From God's point of view, it is receiving the Spirit which marks the defining moment of when someone becomes a Christian. When we pass from death to life, if you like. When we're definitely born from above as a member of his family. You might have heard me say that you can't always tell the difference very easily between butterflies and moths. What is the single distinguishing feature between a butterfly and a moth? And you might say, well, butterflies are brightly coloured and they're around you in the day and they sit with their wings up, whereas moths are nighttime creatures with their wings flat and, and they're a bit dull by comparison. But there are exceptions to all of those principles and rules. The single defining feature apparently is that a butterfly has little nodules on the end of its antennae and a moth doesn't. So whatever else they might look like, that's how you tell the difference. Christian and non-Christian. You kind of expect a Christian to, to go to church and to pray and to read the Bible and lead, lead a good life and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, non-Christians come to church. Lots of non-Christians lead better lives than we do, actually. Praying, reading the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. These are general indications. The single distinguishing factor is the Holy Spirit or not. And sometimes you look at someone who's got the Holy Spirit you think, Really? I find that hard to believe. You can't tell. You can't see. God is the only one who is able to discern the presence of the Spirit or not. It's his signature on our lives. He knows whether the Spirit is there. From God's point of view, receiving the Spirit is the defining moment when someone becomes a Christian, when they pass from death to life, when they're definitely born from above as a member of his family. Sometimes that happens in a dramatic way. Read in scripture about people speaking in tongues, prophesying, praising God, being filled with love and joy, a sense of being one of God's children. Other times it can be quite unobtrusive. 
So don't get hung up about whether or not you've had this or that kind of spiritual dramatic experience. You don't have to jump through a particular charismatic hoop to receive the Spirit of God and be born again. The wind blows where it wills. Don't know where it comes from, don't know where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. How do we receive the Spirit? When does God give the Spirit? In his Pentecost sermon, Peter links receiving the Spirit to sorting your life out with God. Those who repent, those who get baptised, he assures them, will certainly receive the gift of the Spirit because the promise is valid for you, he says, and for your children, and for anyone whom God calls to himself, all those who are far away. It's a promise that's valid and can be believed and accepted. Another time when Peter's preaching to Cornelius... And a number of other people who weren't members of the Jewish nation were there. The Holy Spirit interrupted his sermon, fell on the assembled company, so they started speaking in tongues and praising God. And all Peter had done was mention that anyone who believes in Jesus would receive forgiveness of sins in his name. But there you are, it's that believing in Jesus again. That's the response that God looks for. What's it mean to believe in Jesus? Why is it so important? not just believing that Jesus was a real person or even that he died and rose again. It's more personal than that. It's about believing that, yes, he died on the cross, but he died for me. To bring God's love to me. To forgive my sin. He rose again from the dead to be my Lord and give me eternal life. Forgiveness for the past eternal life in the future, the knowledge of God in the present, his government over our lives, who we are and how we live. The crucial thing is putting your trust in Jesus for this. That's the decisive step. Turning away from a life that we run ourselves, for better or for worse, to a life that Jesus is Lord of who we are and what we do. And when we do that, when we orientate ourselves towards God, when we put our trust in God, God gives us his spirit. Let me rephrase that, because that sounds rather as if God just sends his spirit as if it were a gift through the post or delivered by Amazon. It's more than that. God doesn't send us his spirit. God himself comes and makes his home in our lives by his spirit. Not kind, some kind of detachable gift. It is God himself living within us, which is his purpose and his desire and his longing for our lives. So we don't come to this place because this is a holy place and we withdraw from the world to be holy here because this is where God is. God makes his home in our hearts and sends us out into the world to live there as holy people. It's as God saves us that we grasp the truth that The one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father who created us, the Son who redeems us, the Spirit who lives within us, brings the presence of the Father and the Son into our lives. It's through entering the world in the person of his Son that God saves us. It's through entering our lives by the Holy Spirit that God makes us his children and indwells our hearts. We may not be 100% sure at what precise point God enters our hearts by the Holy Spirit. doesn't matter, actually. God discerns and recognises 
the precise moment at which our lives begin to be transformed by his living presence within us. And he comes by his spirit in response to our growing faith and trust in him. It's a step God calls us all to make. To turn towards him and put our trust in Christ and welcome the presence of his spirit in our hearts. And we might do that as a dramatic one-off event, but we continue to focus on God and live our lives in obedience to him. We might just begin to do it gradually. But the thing is, every day, that needs to be our response to God. God, be the focus of my life. Let me not live in any direction, but let me live all the time turned towards you. Let me put my trust in you on a daily basis as my Lord and Saviour. So it doesn't matter whether we can mark the date of our spiritual birthday or not. The key thing is that we've taken the step, or are taking the step, of putting our trust in Christ as Lord and Saviour, turning away from ourselves towards him, seeking to live our lives under his sovereignty. Yet if you want a birthday celebration of your spiritual rebirth, the way to do that is simply by getting baptised. That's where the bit about being born of water fits in, as well as being born of the Spirit. Baptism is a sign of Christian commitment. It's the time when we nail our colours to the mast and say, this is who I am, this is where I stand. I turn towards Christ and put my faith in him as Lord and Saviour. Symbolises the washing away of our sins, symbolises our transition from death to life because we go into the water as a picture of dying with Christ and we come out, up out of the water as a picture of being raised to new life with Jesus as Lord. We read that Jesus himself was baptised. That was the moment when the Son of God identified with us as sinful people, stood shoulder to shoulder with those going to be baptised for the forgiveness of their sins, signing up to the task of being their saviour and ours, and he visibly received the Holy Spirit to equip him for the task. Baptism is where we identify ourselves with Jesus. We say, yes, Lord, you came for me. You died for me. I want you to sort my life out. I put my trust in you. I welcome your presence in my life by your Spirit. You may not know exactly when your spiritual birthday is, but you can decide when to get baptised. By referring to the need to be born of water and of the Spirit, Jesus kind of implied that it was an important step of Christian commitment. I'm not saying it's essential, but it's important. Is it a step he's calling you to make? If so, why not have a chat with me or a member of the prayer team or another Christian whom you know and trust before you leave tonight? No one can see the kingdom of God, said Jesus, unless they're born from above. Born of water, born of the Spirit. It's a decision that God asks us to take. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that there is more to us than our 70 or 80 years or however longer or shorter our life might be. 
Thank you that you created us with an eye on eternity. Thank you that we are infinitely valuable to you. Thank you that even though we get it wrong, you still love us. Thank you that none of us is beyond redemption. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be born again. To know that we are children of God. To know that we are destined for eternal life. To know you, Jesus, as our Saviour and our Lord. To be made new on the inside. To become the dwelling place of the living God. Lord, if there's a step you're calling us to take, bring it home to our hearts. Have we wandered off the path? Are you calling us to to turn back to you again? Have we not put our trust in you? Have other things taken your place? Are you calling us to take a step of faith and commitment in terms of putting our trust in you for the, ba- for the first time or in terms of getting baptised? Enable us to hear your voice. Give us grace to do as you call in your way and in your time. We offer our lives to you, our God, Father, our Creator, Jesus, our Saviour, Spirit, our Comforter. We bless you. Amen.